seated. You know, somebody could sit over there. We like each other so much, Your Honor. Good morning, Ms. Tomasco. Good morning, Your Honor. Uh, I know that we have a number of parties that are participating today via Zoom, and I have counsel in the courtroom. Hang on, we have a, an extra. All right. Um, at this point, uh, good morning, all. This is Judge Shannon. I understand from the court reporter that necessary parties have joined. We have parties that are in the courtroom uh, representing the debtor, the confirmed Desolation Holdings LLC wind-down entity. This is case number 23-10597. I note also that we have a number of parties that are participating today via Zoom. Um, and if I can, uh, I see some folks on the screen. Can I get a thumbs up that you are able to see and hear me? Great, I see thumbs. That's a good start to my morning. Um, additionally, thank you, Ms. Habibi. Welcome and good to see you. Um, I do note that there seems to have been a disconnect, and for that I apologize if it's on us. Um, the court has uh, about a little over two hours for today's hearing. If we don't finish, then we'll have to reconvene at a different time. Um, I don't think that I realized that th this was going to be uh, the uh, extensive proceeding that uh, that that we have, and I have matters that are scheduled for this afternoon. So we can also talk a little bit about scheduling if that's necessary. But I'll hear first from counsel for the debtor. Ms. Tomasco, good morning. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Good morning, Your Honor. Uh, it's great to be here again. Um, not quite Groundhog Day, um, but we're here again uh, with respect to certain contested claim objection here uh, matters. Um, on the agenda, we get all the way to page 14 before we get to the matters going forward. Um, these are the objections to three uh, Iranian citizens who made claims uh, in these cases. We also have the seventh omnibus, which is item um, six and seventh omnibuses, which are the uh, items 31 and 32 on the agenda. To get started, Your Honor, I have a dreaded PowerPoint. Okay. Just to, um, uh, as we say, uh, you know, uh, guide the discussion somewhat, if I could get Yes. And I brought extra for your clerk today. Not making the same mistake twice. Very good. Thanks. Um, your Honor, we we got the message about the court having limited time today. Um, I'm going to make a brief factual introduction, and then I'm going to propose an idea for how we might be able to finish today. Okay. Um, just briefly, the introduction, we have three Iranian claimants uh, in alphabetical order, Abbasi, Arabpur, and Mominzadeh. Um, we have four debtors, all of which have been consolidated into the wind-down entity uh, su supervised by the plan administrator, David Maria. Um, the claims filed by Abbasi totaled $2.6 million. The claims filed by Arabpur uh, totaled $3 million. The claims filed by Mominzadeh totaled $2.2 million. Uh, some of the claims assert priority in secured rights. Now, granted, certain of these claims were withdrawn. On page five of the presentation, you can see that those claims were uh, reduced somewhat. Uh, their actual account balances are Abasi, zero, Arapur, $8,400, and Omensida is a little more than $3,000. Um, 
Just briefly with respect to the histories of each of the claimants, Mr. Abbasi opened his account in October. Hang on, Ms. Tomasco, just one second. This is Judge Shannon. I'm going to ask that any party that's participating via Zoom, please place your microphone on mute unless you are speaking to the court. We're getting a little bit of feedback. Thank you. Ms. Tomasco, you may proceed. Thank you. Mr. Abbasi opened his account in October of 2017. That's Exhibit 51. Mr. Abbasi agreed to the 2015 Terms of Service. That's Exhibit 31. Mr. Abbasi agreed to BUS's Terms of Service, Exhibit 52 at page 18. Mr. Abbasi agreed to the 2018 Victrix International Terms of Service, Exhibit 52 at 15, December 19 to February 20. Mr. Abbasi took advantage of the OFAC license, which this court is aware, and withdrew all of the assets in his account that could be withdrawn. Now, notwithstanding the fact that Abbasi's account balance is zero, Mr. Abbasi filed 13 proofs of claim, claiming $200,000 in each of them for a total of $2.6 million. Despite this, the fact that Mr. Abbasi withdrew all of his assets, he made these claims against the estate. He withdrew nine of his claims, leaving four surviving claims totaling $800,000. At the December 13, 2023 hearing, Mr. Abbasi further reduced his claim to $132,000. That's Exhibit 70, which is the transcript at page 53 to 54. Mr. Arapour opened his account with Victrix in June of 2017. Mr. Arapour agreed to the 2015 Terms of Service. In 2019 to 2020, Mr. Arapour did not take advantage of the OFAC license. But in June of 2020, Mr. Arapour wrote to Victrix, I received your email to inform me about the process to transfer an asset. I failed to complete the process in due course. So Mr. Arapour acknowledged that he got the OFAC license withdrawal notice, but failed to take advantage of it in time. In November 22, Arapour contacted Victrix, representing that he was then a resident of Turkey. Victrix could not release his assets at that time in light of the OFAC regulations. Mr. Arapour never conclusively proved that he lived in Turkey. Mr. Arapour filed 10 proofs of claim, claiming $300,000 each for a total of $3 million. At the December 13, 2023 hearing, Arapour reduced his claim to $300,000. And that's the 12-13-23 hearing transcript at page 61. However, Mr. Arapour's account balance is approximately $8,473. That's Exhibit 62. Mamenseda opened his Victrix account in June of 2017. He agreed to the 2015 Terms of Service. Mr. Mamenseda agreed to the 2018 Terms of Service. That's Exhibit 67 at 4. Mr. Mamenseda did not take advantage of the OFAC license. There was no communication whatsoever from Mr. Mamenseda in response to the notice. In November 2022, Mr. Mamenseda contacted Victrix, claiming he resided in Turkey, and asking Victrix to reactivate his account. His account remained disabled because he was unable to conclusively show that he resided in Turkey. Mr. Mamenseda filed 11 proofs of claim, in varying amounts totaling $2.2 million. Mr. Mamenseda withdrew six proofs of claim. His surviving claims total $1.5 million. At the December 13, 2023 hearing, Mr. Mamenseda reduced his claim to $23,839. That's the December 13, 2023 hearing at page 64. Mr. Mamenseda's account balance is approximately $3,000.67. 
seminal issue in these claim objections is that each of these Iranian claimants accepted the terms of service. Not only did they accept the terms of service according to the IP logs and the information that the debtors have, but they've made a judicial admission that the 2015 terms of service applied to them. Exhibit 31, uh, again in alphabetic order, the response of Adele Abbasi, Mr. Abbasi represents, I have not accepted any terms other than those terms of service dating version 2015 with Citrix LLC. Uh, as a result, any objections raised by the debtor are null and void because they can't impose on me the terms of service for which I was not el eligible and did not have eligibility. You'll, you'll recognize that there is a thread among all of these, these claimants. The, um, uh, Mr. Mominzada also uh, says in his response to the claim objection that he only agreed to the 2015 terms of service. That's Exhibit 24. Uh, Mr. Arapur agreed to the uh, admits that he agreed to the 2015 terms of service at Exhibit 18, saying, I only agreed to the 2015 terms of service with Bittrex LLC. Um, these claimant statements in their responses to the claim objections that they accepted the 2015 terms of service bind them in this case. Um, we cited <coughs> cases in the PowerPoint. I'll, I'll read them quickly into the record. Berkeley Investment Group versus Colkit, 455F3195, Third Circuit, 2006, and Glick versus White Motor Company, 458F2-1287. The parties proceeded in this case on the basis of the judicial admissions contained in the responses to the claim objections, as well as the reduction of the claims at the hearing, which was the beginning of this claim objection hearing that we started on December 15th. Now, what do the 2015 terms of service say? They limit the liability. They say you don't get consequential lost profits, any of those kinds of damages. You get your coins back, um, you get your fiat back if you have that, but you don't get consequential damages. Um, they also say that Bittrex can suspend or terminate the service for any reason at any time. They also say that, <clears throat> that currencies can be made unavailable. So certain coins can be delisted and certain coins can be um, uh, you know, taken off the platform and not tradable. Those terms of service also contain conditions and restrictions. That they, they could refuse any transaction. Uh, they can refuse your ability to trade. And those would not create liability for Bittrex even without a limitation of liability. We've gone through them ad nauseum in our claim objection. Now, the terms of service also have a Washington choice of law. Washington would also be the nexus if you were to apply a conflicts of law analysis because the, um, these claimants are in, is, are in Iran. Uh, Bittrex was, its principal place of business has always been in Seattle. The three-year statute of limitations under Washington law would, would bar each of the enumerated causes of action in each of the, of the claimant's proofs of claim. Again, these three Iranian claimants do not articulate how their facts fit into these causes of action. They just say, I have a cause of action for negligence, negligent misrepresentation, conversion, breach of fiduciary duty, unjust enrichment, personal injury, emotional distress, civil conspiracy, and breach of the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing. 
we set forth on slide 20 that each of the, of the applicable statutes of limitation for those enumerated causes of action are three years. So what does that get to us? This gets us back to what I call the four square, which is on slide 21. I'm there. So either you have a contract claim or you have a tort claim. You can't have both. So if you have a contract claim, the contract itself bars the damages that these claimants seek. It says we shall have no liability to you other than to return your coins, which, of course, Bittrex is prepared to do, provided that the OFAC issue can be resolved. In other words, if the claimants prove that they are not ordinarily resident in Iran. In addition, with respect to certain elements of what we call defunct crypto under the plan, plan section 64A4 says specifically we are not going to distribute defunct crypto. That would include the Lomo coin and some of the other coins that you may hear about. The other thing is those coins are worthless. They have been worthless for years. Even if you said I want my Lomo coin back, we're talking about tens of cents of dollars. And the plan says we don't have to give it back. And the plan also has a minimum distribution provision, which is also in section 6A of the plan. Now, with respect to any tort claims, obviously those are barred by the three-year statute of limitations. As the court knows, the issues with respect to the suspension of services until the OFAC license all occurred before May 8th of 2020. So the OFAC license period, the suspension of services, when they could have gotten it back if they had responded to the OFAC license, all of those occurred well before they could have brought a claim in this case. So looking backwards, the only thing that they have would be in that lower right-hand corner, and that would require that they show, you and I probably refer to it as the economic loss rule. Washington State uses the independent duty rule. But they would have to establish that Bittrex had an independent duty separate and apart from the contract in order to impose liability. None of their allegations have come even close to meeting that standard. And on that basis, they have no claims. So what do we do today to make this efficient for everyone? Your Honor, the plan administrator is going to invoke Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 42B. That rule, amazingly, because 9014 really should include more of the federal rules in contested matters. But amazingly, it is made applicable by Bankruptcy Rule 9014. It says, for convenience, to avoid prejudice, or to expedite and economize, the court may order a separate trial of one or more separate issues, claims, cross-claims, counter-claims, or third-party claims. So my suggestion to the court is, if the terms of service were accepted, the limitation of liability permits account suspension in Bittrex's sole discretion, permits coin delistings in Bittrex's sole discretion, that's dispositive. Now, is there a factual issue as to whether or not they accepted the 2015 terms of service? No. They've admitted that they accepted the 2015 terms of service. Now, even if they said, well, that's not really a judicial admission, we'll put on evidence. 
on the sole issue of did they accept the 2015 terms of service when they created their accounts on BitBase. We'll show you the IP logs with which you're now familiar. We'll show you, you know, all of the things that happened to show that they did accept the 2015 terms of service. Two of them accepted the 2018 terms of service for Bitrix International, and, and we can go through that. But just that. If they've accepted the terms of service, what claims are left? None. Now, let's just say they've pleaded a laundry list of non-contractual causes of action. Do any of the facts that they rely on, do any of them occur after May 8th of 2020? And if we narrow it down to you know, a theoretical basis that maybe something happened after that time period, well, then we can talk about that. But I can tell you that we're not going to talk about anything that happened before May 8th because those are time barred. So to narrow the issues, the court has the discretion to invoke Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 42 made applicable by Bankruptcy Rule 9014. The other thing, the other rule we're going to invoke is the rule. Uh, Federal Rule of Evidence 615. At a party's request, the court must order witnesses excluded from the courtroom so that they cannot hear each other's witnesses' testimony. So you will see here, and we got a raft of exhibits from an Iranian lawyer, um, Farshid Milanian, who purports to represent all three of the Iranian claimants, but he is not a U.S. lawyer. So what are we going to do? We request that each Iranian creditor claim be heard separately. That means that when we're dealing with one Iranian claimant, the other two need to be uh, off the Zoom. Uh, Mr. Farshid Milanian cannot be on the Zoom because the rule cannot be invoked if you have a, a foreign lawyer purporting to represent all three um, shuttling information between them. Let me ask a question about Rule 615, though. Each of these individuals are parties. So your proposal is to use Rule 42B to do each obje claim objection separately. Otherwise, parties are not subject to segregation. So if we were dealing with these collectively, then they would be, uh, all those parties would be permitted to attend because parties are permitted to attend. Is that a fair Correct. assessment? Mm -hmm. So at that point then, I think I'm trying, I, we'll, we'll separate the issue of whether Mr. Melania can represent parties in connection with this proceeding. Um, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out whether or not the interests of efficiency, I get that the debtor is choosing to invoke this rule to try to have a proceeding that is as efficient as possible, but it also from your presentation appears that the debtor will adduce precisely the same record. We have in each or or and precisely the same arguments in the context of each of these claim objections you're going to say if we if we move uh, mr. Abbas if we keep mr. Abbas in we deal with him first and we move the other two into a zoom room so they're segregated I assume from your presentation that you will adduce testimony through mr. Maria or otherwise that says Mr. Abbasi signed on. Our records show that he signed on on this date. Our records show that he clicked the box accepting the terms of service. How do you know that? And I'm only quoting this because this is the testimony that I heard. Right. 
but you will but he'll testify that you couldn't move past that page to set up your account without accepting those terms here's the date and then here's the consequence of of what happens from that and when it be precisely the same thing then for mr our poor mr moments out we have three separate directs prepared in other words we filed three separate claim objections this is not an on I, I I don't dispute any of that right and so we would in that instance have three separate hearings um, now I will tell you that if we are able to limit it only to the terms of service we would not necessarily invoke the rule in other words we would allow for efficiency's sake do one presentation solely on whether the 2015 terms of service were uh, accepted, 2018 terms of service were accepted. We could do that as a group, but if we're gonna go into matters beyond whether or not the terms of service were accepted, then we are going to invoke the rule. So I wanna make that clear. If we're only doing acceptance of terms of service, we can do um, a holistic presentation that addresses all three claimants, if that makes sense. It does. I understand the argument. Um, I think at this point I need to hear from either the claimants or their proposed counsel, and I do have essentially before me the debtor's objection to the participation of counsel uh, for these individuals. Uh, One other concern that we have, um, and you know, I swear we're not paranoid, but um, we would like during the hearing that the claimant's cameras remain on. Um, I, I know that you allow pro se claimants to appear via Zoom, and that makes a lot of sense to us, but we've had so much um, crosstalk in, in between these claimants. Um, our concerns are that they are um, uh, feeding information to each other, and a lot of it is not accurate. It's going to interfere with the presentation of, the, of truthful testimony, in our opinion. So during the hearing, we would like for the claimant's cameras to remain on at all times. I understand. Um, can I just circle back, and then I'll hear from uh, proposed counsel on the gating question that the debtor has raised about whether or not uh, counsel can participate. But I'd like you to kind of just recap the debtor's opposition to participation by uh, Iranian counsel in this proceeding. Um, number one, the claimants have proceeded uh, on a pro se basis. You'll recall that we started the claim objection hearing on December 13th of 2023. Uh, counsel did not participate um, in that. Each, each of the claimants presented their arguments via um, uh, Google Translate, mm -hmm. maybe, with some recording going I recall. on. Um, well, I'm, I'm happy to be very indulgent of pro se claimants. Um, you know, they, they've, they've said their piece. Uh, they've made their effectively opening statements. Um, Mr. Melanian, here, here's some of the things that we've had to deal with over the last few days. Uh, Mr. Melanian purports to be acting on behalf of the three Iranian claimants. He is not, however, licensed in the United States. Um, I, my, we have, he's obviously Mr. Goddard's counsel. We have a retention agreement between Mr. Goddard and Mr. Melanian uh, that's dated some, some time ago. Um, what this appears to be, though, is um, 
Council uh, can obviously help them fill out their proof of claim, can help them <coughs> with their pleadings, but what counsel from a foreign jurisdiction cannot do is to appear in a U.S. court um, in any capacity, including uh, with respect to advising or going between the claimants with respect to their testimony. Each claimant has a different circumstance. Mr. Abbasi withdrew all of his crypto um, during the OFAC license period in January of 2020. Um, and Mr. Lomenzada um, never got the message about the OFAC license. Mr. Arabgor got the message about the OFAC license but didn't act in time. They all have vastly different um, stories to tell. And yet in their proofs of claim, they used exactly the same language saying, I was not able to get my crypto off because I got ineffective assistance from Bittrex. That can't be true with respect to, with, with respect to Mr. Abbasi. He got all of his crypto off. And it can't be true with respect to Mr. Arabgor. He admitted he didn't respond in time. But we're, what we have is these cookie-cutter pleadings that are, that are being put in front of the court. And while it, it, it may be laughable in one instance, it makes our job extremely difficult to get to the truth. Because we have, we have this, this sort of go-between, acting truthfully, in my opinion, on behalf of Mr. Goddard and not on behalf of these claimants. Not licensed in the United States, not licensed to appear here. Um, his participation in this hearing is, is going to make getting to the truth more difficult, not, more, not easier. I understand. Um, all right, so council has uh, advised the debtor's position with respect to presentation of its three separate claim objections relating to Mr. Abbasi, Mr. Arapur, and Mr. Momenzada. Um, the gating question, I think, in terms of how this proceeding will occur is uh, whether it is appropriate for the court to permit Mr. Melanian uh, essentially to represent and advocate uh, for the claimants in connection with this hearing. Is Mr. Melanian uh, on the line or on Zoom? Uh, yes, Your Honor. I'm here. Um, it is my pleasure uh, to represent the, the creditors before you. All right. Thank you very much for appearing. I, I, I certainly appreciate uh, your participation this morning. I trust that you were able to hear Counsel for Bittrex, Ms. Tomasco, with respect to her objection to your participation in, the, in that proceeding. Were you able to hear that, sir? Yes, thank you. Yes, okay. Your Honor. So uh, I would observe, and, and again, this is Judge Shannon, I have um, observed that this is sort of a, the, the, the first question that needs to be addressed by the court is the extent to which you can participate uh, in today's proceeding on behalf of the three separate claimants whose claims have been objected to. You have heard Ms. Tomasco's uh, opposition and a request that I prevent you from playing that role, and I would be happy to hear your response, sir. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. It would be a pleasure to present the creditors before you. By the way, I'm here for fairness, justice, and equity. And if you find it fine, 
and just I'm here to represent the creditors. I'm here to testify, and I'm here to explain everything that may help the court to find the truth and the rule and rule in the best possible way. So I know I'm not the lawyer licensed by U.S. bars, but I think I can help the creditors because they do not have access to the lawyer in the United States because of the sanctions. And in other words, no lawyer will accept them to represent. And I understand the economic barriers and also the other barriers that sanctions have produced. So it is up to you, Judge Shannon, if you accept, I'm here to testify or represent the creditors or explain in any angle, find just and proper. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Malani. And I very much appreciate your offer to participate and to attempt to assist both the claimants as well as the court in proceeding with this matter. But I am going to sustain the debtor's objection to your participation in this proceeding. And in so ruling, again, I appreciate the offer and I'm sensitive to the concerns that you have expressed that it may be difficult for Mr. Abbasi, Mr. Momenzada, and Mr. Arapour to fully engage and represent and vindicate their interests in this proceeding. And I am obliged to conduct the proceeding in a way that abides by Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 1, which is to ensure the just and fair and economical administration of justice. And so, again, I appreciate your offer to assist with that process, but I don't believe that it is proper for several grounds. First, as a threshold matter, as an attorney not licensed in the United States, I'm not even certain that I have the discretion to permit you to practice in this court. But regardless, I would not exercise that discretion if I had it. I note further that the rules of this court require that counsel that is not a member of the Delaware Bar affiliate with Delaware counsel prior to participating in a proceeding in the federal courts here in Delaware. The record reflects that that, in fact, has not occurred. And indeed, some of the challenges that Ms. Tomasco has expressed in terms of trying to manage or navigate this process articulate the reason for why this jurisdiction has always required local counsel, even affiliation for counsel who are members of a bar of one of the states of the United States other than Delaware. But again, under the circumstances, I do not believe that it would be appropriate to permit you to represent as counsel these claimants, and I would sustain the debtor's objection, and I would not be prepared to hear further argument, testimony, or presentation from you today. Again, I appreciate your offer, but I have made my ruling. Ms. Tomasco, that brings us then to the next question, which is 
how the debtor intends to proceed. Uh, do you intend to request three, essentially three serial proceedings? I believe that we have the ability to put participants that are on Zoom into a Zoom room that's out of here, that's, that's not here, but I'm looking over at uh, Mr. Court Reporter, and maybe, I want to... Maybe I can make it more simple for the court, Your Honor. If, if we're able to bifurcate the trial into whether or not they accepted the terms of service um, and then have the court rule on that, whether that's sufficient to sustain the claim objections without hearing additional evidence, we can proceed as a group, but if we're not going to grant the Rule 42 motion, then we would ask that they be tried separately. So I think I, I am reluctant to cabin the proceeding as described. I understand and I don't disagree that it would be more efficient, but as noted, I'm dealing with claimants that are representing themselves. The case law teaches and my practice is that a measure of flexibility is afforded. And the premise of your argument is uh, to limit the discussion to that question of the terms of service. It may be, as the debtor has argued in this proceeding as well as in the trial that we've just held, that that issue is dispositive. Um, but I think at this point, uh, I would not. I, I would want to afford the claimants an opportunity uh, to address the court. I'm not saying that I am uh, that the debtor can't object or argue that either evidence or testimony is beyond the scope of what is relevant to the court's decision at this point. Um, but I think that I am not prepared to conduct a proceeding today that is limited to that one line. Um, the other point that I would make is that we had a fairly extensive hearing back in December that I recall that was about the claimant's request for broader discovery. My recollection is, and the record reflects, that I denied the request for broader discovery uh, that would have pursued a variety of theories to which the debtor objected and alleged were not legally sufficient. The, so. I don't want any uncertainty. I am laser focused and I think fully cognizant of the argument that the debtor is making. The relatively narrow band of information that's relevant to establishing that argument or what may be relevant to consider it. Um, but in order to ensure that parties have the opportunity to be heard and that I in fact have the full record, um, I'm not prepared to uh, uh, in advance of hearing the statements or testimony of these claimants uh, precluded as tightly as the debtor has requested. So I think that that probably leaves us with your Rule 42 request and the, um, and the request to uh, segregate the parties. Um, we're slicing and dicing here, Your Honor. Um, so two things. One is we have brought back the, um, the interpreter at our, Habibi, yes. at, at, at our expense to assist with the hearing for their, she is here for the claimant. Great. Um, to make it even more efficient, 
um, we're going to suggest that we do a joint examination of Mr. Maria and then invoke the rule with respect to when we're examining each of the Iranian claimants. That might be a little more efficient in terms of getting done today. Mr. Yunus, did you wish to be heard or did you want to confer with Mr. Muska? I did confer with both Mr. Muska and again the court. It appears to me that the claimants may have brought back Ms. Habibi. I'm realizing we have our own interpreter that is Mr. Faroogi. Okay. So if someone could just clarify that. I don't think we need both interpreters and I think we're fine with Ms. Habibi. I just want to make sure there's no confusion because it appears we have two interpreters on the phone right now. Yeah, we got our own interpreter. I thought it was Ms. Habibi when she showed up today, but apparently it's Mr. Faroogi. Yeah, well, if each side has brought their own interpreter, again, the parties may use their interpreter as they wish. The court can control that process, but I don't necessarily, I don't know if there's a sense one way or the other. I have not. Mr. Faroogi, I see you on the camera this morning and welcome, sir. It's good to see you. Thank you for participating and I do recall Ms. Habibi from our hearings just earlier this month. Welcome, ma'am. It's good to see you again. Thank you, Your Honor. Let me do this. I think that the, I don't know what to do about the interpreters. Me neither. If we could, Your Honor, if Ms. Habibi could just confirm that she was in fact retained by the claimants, we know at least why she's here because we had no idea that they had retained an interpreter. Ms. Habibi, good morning. It's good to see you. Were you engaged by the claimants in this proceeding to assist them as you had in the prior proceeding? Your Honor, I believe I was. I work through an interpretation agency and they're the ones who asked me to be today. And I believe it was the same client that they had. Okay. Let's do this. If I understood your suggestion, Ms. Tomasco, it would be to conduct a combined hearing for the testimony of Mr. Maria. Correct. I think that that would make sense and that would afford Mr. Abbasi, Mr. Arapour, and Mr. Momenzada the opportunity to examine serially Mr. Maria and would get all of the debtor's evidentiary record in today. That's fine. And I think that we should proceed that way. We're going to take just a five-minute break right now. I realize we are pressed for time, but I would ask that you use the time, one, to sort out how the parties wish to proceed with the two interpreters. I'm not looking to burden anybody. And again, if each side wants their own interpreter, I am completely fine with that. But if there's a consensus that we don't need both of these folks, then somebody can make a decision on that. I will leave that to the parties and I'll be guided, but you should have a discussion about that without me in the middle of it. The second thing is, again, we'll take Mr. Maria's testimony. The three claimants will participate. I would observe that if you are hoping to make that kind of progress today, bifurcating each of the three separate witnesses might be a little complicated. I would be prepared to order that the witnesses, that the claimants put their cameras on 
and I would be prepared I would be prepared to make that direction consistent with the authority the court has under civil rule civil rule 43 which applies in bankruptcy proceedings civil rule 43 addresses the taking of testimony and it provides that the court may take remote testimony in compelling circumstances with appropriate safeguards in order to ensure the integrity of the proceeding I certainly find that there are compelling circumstances for these claimants who have filed claims and engaged in proceedings in this court I find it is compelling circumstances to permit them to testify remotely the record suggests that it is not a simple task to get a visa to come uh, from the United States uh, uh, from Iran to the United States I have no issue with that but given the concerns that have been expressed and frankly the the relatively limited burden associated with it I would direct that the claimants put the cameras on during these proceedings if that is responsive at all to the concerns that the debtor has in terms of dealing with all of the claimants at once so be it if the debtor wants the uh, sequestration I believe that that is the debtors prerogative and I believe rule 615 is mandatory I'm just observing that it might be complicated in the relatively limited time you have the other point that I would make is that if indeed we're not going to finish today and you have till 12:15 Eastern time then some of these issues may be addressed when we reconvene which would be at a time of the party's convenience not this week because I am traveling so why don't we take five minutes we'll sort out the interpreters and figure out our path forward and again I appreciate everyone's patience with that we will stand in recess five
Please be seated. Before we get going, we are reconvening uh, right now in the matter of Desolation Holdings, known as Bitrex, which is case number 23-10597. We took a short break to discuss uh, some of the mechanics of moving forward with our proceeding today. My understanding is that there may be parties that are joining or have jumped on to, to this morning's Zoom in order to uh, participate in the Z News status conference in the Subchapter 5 case that is scheduled for 11 a.m. That status conference has been canceled. The court has asked for an email report on the status of that case um, by email to counsel this morning from my deputy, um, but the Z News status conference is off. We are proceeding with trial on this matter. Ms. Tomasco, uh, welcome back. Where do we stand? Um, Your Honor, we're going to, uh, we've dismissed our interpreter. Um, we're going to proceed with the group direct of, of um, uh, Mr. Maria. aggregated direct of Mr. Maria. Um, we believe if the cameras can remain on and we can eliminate um, for, for two reasons, Your Honor. Eliminate people who are not either the claimants or representing the plan administrator um, that we can proceed. One is, again, we want to make sure that everybody's not being assisted with their testimony. The other, th the other reason is that this will be, you know, uh, where you live, what is your passport number, all of that kind of thing. So as we begin the testimony, we think that the courtroom and the virtual courtroom should be cleared of all non-essential participants, including okay. the participants on Zoom from Womble, um, uh, who obviously represent Mr. Uh, Goddard. He's not a party to these claim objections. We are going to be talking about PII with respect to these claimants. Um, I also see on the Zoom um, uh, somebody, Leah Lerman from POJ. I don't know that, that she should be hearing this, I, I, although I don't know what argument she might have for being here. Um, Mr. Milani is still on, on the Zoom. Okay. Um, the request is for implementation of the court's existing protocol, which is that as we turn to live testimony, video participation in the proceeding is limited to parties. Um, and so on that basis, um, I will direct that those party, those individuals that have signed on as parties may remain. Those parties, those individuals that have signed on uh, but are not parties to the proceeding um, must be removed to a separate Zoom uh, room to be permitted back if and when testimony concludes. Um, in addition, the court would specifically note that Mr. Melanian is not a party. Again, the court has expressed its appreciation for his offer to assist with this, with this proceeding, but the court will direct that Mr. Melanian likewise uh, be removed uh, from the active observing uh, Zoom room at this time. Um, I'm gonna ask that that occur and that the court reporter remove parties at this point. We're about to call and swear in Mr. Maria for his testimony. All right, while the court reporter is taking those steps, 
I assume the debtor calls Mr. Maria. That's correct, Your Honor. Uh, Your Honor, the plan administrator calls himself to the stand, uh, Mr. David Maria. Uh, and Your Honor, uh, if I may, as uh, one of the two uh, uh, interpreters uh, hired, uh, which one of us has been requested to uh, stay on? Um, we're going to allow Ms. Habibi to stay on. Mr. Farooq, okay. we appreciate your, your appearing today. We um, greatly appreciate your assistance, but uh, we assume that Mr. H Ms. Habibi, being more familiar, um, should stay on. Understood. And she is, she is a, Understood. Yeah, she is the choice of the non-English speaking participant. All right, Mr. Farooq, well. Mr. Farooq, thank you very much for your participation today, and, and uh, be well, sir. Thank you very much, Your Honor, and thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Okay. Thank you. Um, I trust that the court reporter has taken the necessary steps. At this point, then, uh, Mr. Maria, welcome. We will swear the witness. Okay. Raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Please state your last name and spell it for the record. Maria, M-A-R-I-A. Please be seated. Welcome, sir. Have a seat. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Maria, um, uh, briefly state your role with the debtor for the court. I'm the plan administrator uh, as of the effective date and prior to that I was the uh, general counsel and chief legal officer at Bitrix Incorporated. As the plan administrator, have you familiarized yourself with the background facts uh, with respect to the, the three claim objections that we're hearing today with respect to Messrs. Um, Abbasi, Arabpour, and Alinsda? I have. Uh, let's turn to Exhibit 51 in your book. Can you identify that document? This is a printout from our uh, system regarding the opening of the account with uh, from Mr. Adele Abbasi. Um, and when did Mr. Abbasi open an account with Bitrix? Mr. Abbasi opened his account, I'm looking to see here, I know it was in October of 2017, October uh, 14th, I believe, 2000, I'm sorry, that's not right, that was when it was shut down, it was, I don't know if it has it in here, but it is October 2017 when he opened his account with Bitrix. Um, what, how does this uh, get uh, populated, this form? So this is information that's entered by the customer signing up, whether it happened on the day of the sign-up or whether it was uh, at a later date. Uh, it, it would have been entered by the customer. We still have participants from the Womble, Dix, Womble firm on the Zoom. If we could correct that, um, Elazar Kozman and Marcy McLaughlin Smith. Um, <clears throat> before we remove those parties, um, I would ask if there is an objection or a demand to participate. Very well. Hearing no response, I will direct the court reporter to move those parties. Yeah, there's two people, Marcy and Elazar. Marcy and Elazar. 
You may proceed. Oh, sorry, Your Honor. <laughs> okay. Um, if I uh, exhibit 51, um, I'm going to call it the account opening details. Would the procedure for the account opening be the same for all three claimants, Abbasi, Arapur, and Momenzada? It would. They, I mean, this is just a printout of what's in the system. The account opening would have been where they go to the logon page. On page one, they have to enter their email, which becomes their username, enter a password, which then has to be confirmed. And then below that, there is a toggle on, toggle off check mark with a hyperlink to the terms of service. They would have to click on the terms of service and then click the check mark indicating they accepted the terms of service in order to get past the first log on page, yes. Um, I move for the admission of Exhibit 51. Did Bittrex uh, disable Mr. Abbasi's account at any time? Yes, it did. And when, did, when was that? That would have been disabled in a couple weeks after he opened it, uh, after receiving the, uh, the OFAC subpoena. So October 10th, I believe, we determined was when the subpoena was received. So within a day, I think it was 11th, 12th, something like that, would have been when it was disabled. Is the same true with respect to um, the claimants, Arabpur and Momenzada? Yes, anyone who had a nexus to Iran or one of the other sanctioned jurisdictions would have been disabled at that time. Why did Bittrex, uh, why was Bittrex required to disable Mr. Abbasi's account? Well, they shouldn't have been able to open their accounts in the first place. As we've discussed in the past, uh, these individuals all signed up with uh, addresses and uh, in Iran, Iran as well as passports from there. So they had a nexus to a sanctioned jurisdiction. Uh, Bittrex became aware that it was not permitted to allow customers in sanctioned jurisdictions when they received an OFAC subpoena and then discussed it with, with uh, outside parties in October of 2017. Is the same true with respect to um, Mr. Arapur and Momenzada? Yes, with each of them they signed up uh, or shortly after signing up they provided addresses of residency in Iran as well as uh, passports from Iran. During its relationship with Mr. Abbasi, Momenzada, and Arapur, did Bittrex apply for a license that would allow uh, uh, parties with a nexus to Iran uh, to withdraw assets in their account? Yes, so after receiving the subpoena and beginning to respond to the OFAC subpoenas and, and uh, engaging in a dialogue with, with OFAC in or around April of 2018, um, Bittrex, with the assistance of outside counsel, filed license applications with OFAC uh, listing the accounts implicated by each of the sanctioned jurisdictions and sought approval to get licenses to release funds to those individuals in those jurisdictions. Um, let's look at Exhibit 72. Can you identify this, this document? I can. Uh, so this would be one of the license, actually, let me make sure. Yes, this would be the, uh, the license application submitted by outside counsel, which was Perkins Cooey at the time, um, for licenses in, in the um, sanctioned jurisdictions. It was dated April 28, 2018. 
let's turn to Exhibit 73. What is this document? In the past one, I believe it was just the Iranian one. There were similar ones for the other jurisdictions for 72. 73 would be the license that was granted uh, by OFAC allowing the, uh, this is Ira the Iranian specific license as it says at the top of the page, granted in September of, uh, well again, I think we saw this last time. It says September 26, 1019, but my recollection is this was 2019. Uh, and I think we received word of it and received it shortly thereafter, either at the end of September or early October. Um, I move for the admission of Exhibit 72 and 73, Your Honor. Any objections to the admission of ex uh, these documents, which are uh, Exhibits 72 and 73? Hearing no response, uh, those documents are admitted. Um, Ms. Tomasco, I think the way that we agreed to move forward thus far is that um, Mr. Abbasi, Mr. Momenzada, and Mr. Arapur are both, uh, are, are all three participating in this hearing and listening to Mr. Maria's testimony. Um, I would ask just to confirm uh, that they're that they're on and they're able to hear us. So, uh, Mr. Abbasi, this is Judge Shannon. Are you on and can you hear the proceedings today? Uh, yes, I am on and, <clears throat> excuse me, present, uh, but I've had uh, major oral surgery and un am unable to speak very, uh, a lot. Um, <clears throat> a, a document uh, presenting my, uh, my side, uh, my case, uh, has been sent to the interpreter, and if you allow, uh, she will read it. Okay, well, we'll deal with that at the appropriate point, but I'm, uh, I, I certainly hope that you recover uh, well, Mr. Abbasi. I just wanted to make sure as we get into the proceeding that you and your, uh, 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 and the other claimants are able to hear us. Um, so uh, as to Mr. Momenzada, uh, sir, are you on the Zoom, and are you able to hear the proceedings? Yes, I, I hear you very well, and I am able to see the uh, documents. Very good. And uh, finally, I believe Mr. Arapur. Uh, sir, are you able to uh, hear and see the proceedings? Salam be Qazia Muhtaram wa Dadgah. Bale, man sada shumar mishnaram wa madarikro daram mishnaram. Uh, hello to the Honorable Judge and the Court. Uh, yes, I'm able to hear you and the documents. Very good. Uh, again, I apologize, Ms. Tomasco, for the interruption, but I wanted to make sure that we didn't have any issues and that the three claimants were actually on for the benefit of this proceeding. You may, you may move forward. I, I will note, Your Honor, that two of the claimants don't have their cameras on. Um, the Court has directed that each of the claimants uh, leave their camera on. And so I would ask that you do so, um, and we can move forward. Mr. Moscow, you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, 
Did Bittrex uh, let Mr. Abbasi know of, of the uh, OFAC license that he could withdraw his crypto from the platform? So Bittrex would have sent out emails to anyone impacted by this to the email address on file. I believe the first round would have gone out in early November once we had taken these in and put a process in place. So they would have gotten it in November and then potentially monthly after that. But yes, uh, each of them would have received that email. Can we look at Exhibit 53 and identify that for the court? I believe 53 is a collection of the Zendesk tickets between Mr. Abbasi and Bittrex. If we could look at pages 25 to 28 of that exhibit, please. Yes. And what does that show? So on page 25, this is a back and forth between Mr. Abbasi and our uh, Zendesk at Bittrex. Uh, December 3rd, 2019, um, Mr. Abbasi is inquiring. Uh, this appears to be in response to receiving the email uh, notifying of the license. So uh, probably a month, sometime after the November email, Mr. Abbasi writes in, giving his account info, giving his balances, and asking for the balances to be uh, withdrawn to uh, a different address and providing a passport. How did Mr. Abbasi receive the OFAC license transfer form? It would have been in the, uh, the email that he received giving notice of the process. Now, did Mr. Abbasi take uh, advantage of the OFAC license? He did. So as, as is evident from this communication, Bittrex did what they've done. They, they made a, a request for additional information to ensure his identity. So they respond uh, essentially telling him he needs to provide uh, proof of identity, provide selfies with the uh, holding a government ID and holding a piece of paper with Bittrex and the date on it uh, and do three separate angles of that picture. Um, we move for the admission of Exhibit 53. All right. Any objection to the admission of Exhibit 53? Very well. That exhibit is admitted. So in terms of assets associated with Mr. Abbasi's account, could you turn to Exhibit 54 and say what that represents? Yes, this would have been, I believe, what he had in his account at the time of the, uh, the withdrawals pursuant to the OFAC license. So the back and forth, he, he did what he needed to do, if you look at the previous exhibit on 53, provided all the photos requested, provided proof of uh, you know, his government ID and the pictures, went through the process, and then was permitted to uh, have these assets, which are shown in 54, sent to the wallets that he designated on the license <coughs> transfer form, all which was blessed by the OFAC license process. Um, can you describe what LMC is? Uh, LMC is, is a delisted token that used to be listed called LomoCoin. Um, does LomoCoin have any value? As of now, I think it's zero if you look it up, but if you go further down the decimals, there, there's it's really not traded at all, but it's worth a, a 0.0001 cents if you look at 
some of the different websites that, that show those values. Um, what does the plan uh, provide for with respect to delisted coins? Delisted coins are not are to be just nothing happens with them. There, there's no way to transfer them. There's no wallets for them. There's no no ability uh, to, to do anything with them, and they have no ones like this have no value whatsoever. Um, move for the admission of Exhibit 54. All right. Any objection to its admission? Very well. That is it, uh, admitted. Let's turn to Exhibit 52. Yes, I have it. Um, if you could turn to the last page of that, page 18. Oh, wait. Page 18, sorry. Um, first of all, what is this document? So this would be the IP logs, logging all of the activity uh, from Mr. Abbasi. Okay. On page 18, what do we see? So page 18, uh, this is into 2019. Page 18 reflects that uh, on this date he logged in, uh, and I'll explain why, and uh, was directed to the Bitrix US website and prompted to and then did accept the Bitrix US terms of service in 2019. Um, let's look at exhibit 31. Okay. Are you familiar with this document? I am. If we could turn to the uh, second page. Yes. You see paragraph three? I have. I'm sorry, I do see it. Okay. And what does Mr. Abbasi say about accepting the 2015 terms of service there? It says, I've not accepted any terms other than of the terms of service dating version 2015 with Bitrix LLC. So Mr. Abbasi admits that he um, signed on to the 2015 terms of service. Do you also know this to be true from a Bitrix systems standpoint? Well, yes. I mean, the 2015 one, as I explained a few minutes ago, you could not sign up without accepting those terms of service. It would stop you on that page, so you needed to click that. Um, Mr. Abbasi then, there, it, it, going through the IP logs, what you just showed me on page 18, he, because he, uh, if you look on, I'm sorry, if we can go back to page 18 there. Page 18 of Exhibit 52? Yes, please. So... As you see in the, uh, the column uh, between the date and the true, it says U.S., and, and then in the final two columns, S.E.S. Satellite. So what that reflects is that for this period and, you know, the, the pages leading up to it, for a period of time, he was logging into a service that essentially goes through a U.S. server. So it's like a VPN. This is a satellite one. Um, but that made it look as though he's logging in from the United States. So even though he was located elsewhere, it would have directed him to the Bitrix U.S. website as opposed to the international one uh, that was, or, or the global one at that time. Um, and that's why he was prompted to, and then the records reflect that he did, in fact, accept the Bitrix U.S. terms of service on that date. Now, 
Does this mean that Bittrex transferred his account from Bittrex International to Bittrex U.S.? Well, no. This had not, I mean, as I just said, this was in the U.S. Uh, if you were to, and I mentioned this in the last trial, the, uh, it all was based on the IP address from where you're logging in at that time. Once Bittrex International was established in October or so of 2018, international IP addresses that were non-sanctioned countries would be routed to Bittrex International, and I'll get to that in a minute. But because Mr. Abbasi was signing in from what looked to be a U.S. server, it routed him back to Bittrex U.S., even though he was located outside the U.S. Then if we turn to page 15 of this exhibit, now, a few months later, he has stopped VPNing or satellite linking in from the U.S., and now he has... Uh, is going through a VPN, as it says in the right one, in the Netherlands. So in the top entry, now he's routed to the Bittrex International website because of location and prompted to and then does accept the Bittrex International terms of service at that time. But to your question, nothing, no accounts are moved in terms of physical location, no assets are moved in terms of their wallets. All this is is the system, once there was the split to international, the system is recognizing based on IP address where you are essentially representing that you are located and then directing you to the appropriate website based on that. Um, so all in all, Mr. Abbasi accepted three different terms of service, 2015, 2018, and Bittrex U.S. Two, two versions of the Bittrex US, that would have been the 2015 version when he signed up in 17, then the version that was in place when he routed in through the US in early 2019, and then the Bittrex International in August of 2019 when he VPNed in from the Netherlands. Let's look at exhibit I have an, an objection. Is, am I able to say something? Yes. But. Uh, but uh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm not able to hear him very clearly. Um, I'm asking him to speak a little bit more clearly. Mr. Maria is uh, lying to the court. According to docket 92, uh, Lemo coin uh, was um, transferred in uh, the year 2020. It's not fair that he would be lying to the court and I can't uh, defend. Okay. Um, Ms. Habibi, if, uh, I'm going to rule on that objection. Um, if uh, any of the claimants believe that Mr. Maria's testimony is not truthful, they will have an opportunity to examine Mr. Maria 
when Ms. Tomasco's examination is concluded. Can you share that with the parties? Yes, can I express an objection because I have an objection to Mr. Maria's statement? Okay. Ms. Tomasco, would you remind me precisely where we are in the examination? Are you moving to admit a document at this point? I'm moving to admit Exhibit 52, and then we're moving on to Exhibit 54, which is the 2015 Terms of Service. Okay. So, again, parties will have an opportunity to ask Mr. Maria questions at the appropriate time. Can you share that, Madam Interpreter? Yes, Your Honor. I'm not Mr. Abbasi, and the objection I have relates to something else, not what was mentioned. Okay. There's a single question in front of me right now. This is Exhibit 52. The court will admit that exhibit. Mr. Maria has testified. So that exhibit is admitted, and we will move on with the examination. Ms. Tomasco, you can ask your questions. Thank you, Your Honor. Hang on. Ms. Habibi, you can report to the claimants with respect to the court's ruling, and then we'll return to Ms. Tomasco, okay? Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Maria, let's turn to Exhibit 44. Do you recognize this document? I do. And what is it? This is the Terms of Service dated 2015, but this was what was in place during 2017 when each of the claimants signed up for Bittrex. So each of the claimants, when they would have set up their accounts, would have had to have checked the box that would have a link to the 2015 Terms of Service at Exhibit 44, correct? That is correct. I move for the admission of Exhibit 44. Any objection to the admission of the Terms of Service? Yes, I have an objection, and I mentioned it before. Okay. 
And then the issue that Mr. Maria presented was accepting the terms and conditions of service for 
with respect to the prior hearing on December 13th, that they understand the English very well. Um, and so I don't think that each question and answer needs to be interpreted. Um, they interjected objections relevant to particular topics yeah. when they've come up. Um, and so I think that interpreting every single question and answer would be interposed solely for the purposes of delay. While I understand that you know, it's English is not their first language, um, you know, these are very, very simple questions. It's always easier to understand another language than it is to speak it. And so I, that, that is my feeling. All right. Um, I would ask, and I'll start with, uh, uh, I'll start, e uh, I will ask the claimants, um, are you able to generally follow Ms. Tomasco's questions and Mr. Maria's answers? Yes, I'm able to follow completely. I need uh, for it to be interpreted, please. من بعضی نکات رو متوجه نمیشم و بعضی نکات رو متوجه نمیشم با توجه به حساسیت موضوع درخواست ترجمه میخوام بکنم برای صحبت های مستوریا و مستوماس I understand some, excuse me, I understand some, and I, um, some I don't understand, and, and because of the sensitivity of the, uh, of the discussions, I would like uh, what uh, both Mr. Maria says and what Ms. Tomasco says to be uh, interpreted. That is how we will proceed then. Um, I'm going to ask a couple things. First, Ms. Tomasco. Um, to the extent that you can either keep your questions short or break them so that the interpreter can uh, interpret. And Mr. Maria, same instruction as best as possible. Um, as to item, the item that is before me, uh, no objection has been interposed. That document is admitted. Um, Terms and conditions Palace to the I have an objection. Um, the terms and services that um, uh, we, there needs to be a, needs to be produced a, um, a document showing that the terms and services were accepted. Uh, okay. And, and okay. Uh, I'm going to overrule that objection. And you can ask Mr. Maria about that when when you are examining him. But Ms. Tomasco has put this document up. I have an objection. Um, I'm going to interpret um, actually, your, your statements. Actually, I've, I've ruled. Ms. Tomasco, you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, in Section 4.1 of Exhibit 44. Ms. Habibi, you may. Yep, go ahead. Thank you. در بخش در بند چهل اشاره یک در مدرک چهل و چهار. What does this provision provide for? Section four. I'm oh, sorry. 
Mr. Maria, you can answer. I'm sorry, I apologize. I didn't give her a chance to translate. But uh, Section 4.1 notes that Vitrix may at any time and in our sole discretion. این خانم ماسکو پرسیدن که این بند شامل چیست؟ ایشون گفتن که این نوشته شده که بیتفکس میتونه در هر مقطعی و به کاملا در اختیار خودمون در تصمیم خودمون and then to the relevant portion impose any other conditions or restrictions upon your use of the services without prior notice. هر گونه محدودیتی روی استفاده شما از خدمات ما بگذاره بدون اینکه از پیش به شما اعلام کنیم رو. Does section 16 also provide for Bitrex's sole discretion to modify or discontinue any part of the services it provides? آیا در بخش شانزدم نوشته شده که اجازه میده بیترکس به تصمیم خودش بتونه در هر مقطعی ادامه سرویس رو قطع بکنه یا تقید بده؟ Yes, it's a very broad provision allowing Bitrix in its sole discretion to terminate services to customers at any time. بله یک اجازه بسیار گسترده ای هست که Bitrix اجازه میده که در هر مقطعی بتونه خدمات رو به یک استفاده کننده قطع بکنه. Specifically it notes we may terminate your access to the services in our sole discretion immediately. and without prior notice and delete or deactivate your Bitrix account and all related information and files in such account without liability to you. میتونیم شما را غیر فعال بدونیم، انجام بدیم یا غیر فعال بکنیم و همچنین هر گونه خدمات دیگه که ما برای شما فراهم کردیم بدون هیچ بدون هیچ که ما مسئولیت برای شما داشته باشیم. I have a question. From Mr. Maria. This is not the time that you will ask your questions. You'll have an opportunity in a moment. Let me, uh, Ms. Tomasco and Mr. Maria, as we walk through this or other documents, if there are sections that Ms. that the debtor wants focused upon, if they are highlighted, the court will read it. And Ms. Habibi is welcome to uh, translate the highlighted section. Um, that okay. should make this go a little bit further. Um, it's not unusual to either have a witness read it to the court for the record or to direct the court to read it. I think it would just be easier if we're not yep. doing it twice. So uh, I don't mean to insert myself, but um, we're trying to manage the mechanics. Ms. Tomasco, you may proceed. Um, uh, Mr. Rio, can we turn to section 19 of Exhibit 44? You see that section? I do. Um, can you highlight the section 
any direct, indirect, incidental. And go down to the end of the all caps. I would ask that the interpreter please read uh, or, or translate the highlighted section of paragraph 19. The court has it in front if, of me, and I can read it. Ms. If Tomaska? we could also highlight the first, I'm just try, I'm trying to make this more efficient. The indemnified party shall have no liability for also highlight that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, هیچ گونه مسئولیتی هم مستقیم، غیر مستقیم یا به دلیل یا اقتصادی یا خسارت ها یا خسارت های برای گم شدن داده ها نداره و هیچ گونه مسئولیتی بر روی این قرارداد یا هیچ گونه هیچ مسئولیت قانونی در مورد خسارت ها یا اینکه به خاطر اینکه کاربرها نتونستن از خدمات استفاده کنند یا اینکه اون سرویسایی که شما دریافت کردین بیشتر از اون پولی که شما دارین برای استفاده از سرویس ما از بهره که شما بردین بیشتر بوده در اون دوازده ماهی که درست قبل از زمانی که شما شکایت کردین به خاطر این مسئولیت Anything else? You may proceed. Thank you. Um, let's turn to exhibit 32. Do we look at page 11? I will represent this is the addendum to the proof of claim filed by Mr. Adel Abbasi. In Elhaqiyas, the in shikayati kawaye Adel Abbasi kade. If you could look at the paragraph beginning with. in October 2017. Yes. Mr. Abbasi represents to the court um, that Bittrex disabled these accounts. Um, is Mr. Abbasi one of the affected individuals who lost access to his account information and assets due to Bitrex's actions. Is that true or false? Mr. Abbasi said that one of the accounts that 
دستیابیش به حسابش تحت تاثیر قرار گرفته بود آیا این درست هست یا درست نیست Yes, his was one of the accounts that was disabled after receiving the OFAC subpoena. Was he able? Yes, he was one of the accounts that was disabled after receiving the OFAC subpoena. Was Mr. Abbasi ultimately able to recover all of his coins during the OFAC license period? Yes, what's in آیا آقای عباسی تونست کل سکه هاشو بتونه پولشو بگیره در زمانی که اون مجوز اوفک اجرایی بود؟ Yes, and what's interesting here is that in the next paragraph of this exhibit he states that Bitrix claimed to have a permit however, this didn't help the claimant because he was still unable to access information and assets despite the permission. And as we saw a few minutes ago, he took advantage of this process, submitted the OFAC license transfer form, and withdrew all remaining assets in his account during the license period. So the statement beginning in 2020, is that true or false with respect to Mr. Abbasi? It's false because he withdrew his assets that were in his account during the license period. And I will note that each of the claimants, as we see in the first sentence, say that they reside in Istanbul, Turkey now. However, as we learned at the outset of this hearing, their lawyer noted that they have a difficult time getting representation because they live in Iran. و چیزی که اینجا می‌بینیم هر سه اینها گفتن که ما در مقین استانبول هستیم مستمر ترکیه هستیم ولی در اول این جلسه شنیدیم از وکیلشون که اونها نمیتونن نمایندگی بگیرن یا وکالت بگیرن اینجا چون که در ایران زندگی می‌کنن مقین ایران هستن If you could look at exhibit, uh, I don't know that we need to admit the proof of claim, Your Honor, but we move the to The proof of claim is of record. Okay. Uh, let's... In Madrak, we have the subject of Madrak Rasmi. Let's look at exhibit 58. 
میریم روی سراغ مدرک پنج و هشت مربوط به آقای عرب پور. Again, this would be the printout of the account information from uh, Mr. Arapur from our administrative system. Uh, Do you know when Mr. Arapur opened his account with Bitrex? Are you mentioning K. L. Arapur has opened his Bitrex account? I believe Mr. Arapur opened his account in January of 2017. In order to open his account in 2017, would Mr. Arapur had to have accepted the 2015 terms of service? Yes, anyone in 2017 would have, have had to toggle the check mark to indicate they accepted the terms of service to get past the very first page. بله آیا در 2017 باید آقای عربپور شرایط رسیدن شرایط فراهم کردن خدمات 2015 رو بایستی قبول می‌کرد بله هر کسی که می‌خواست حساب باز کنه بایستی که کلیک می‌کرد روی اون بخشی که نشون می‌ده که And, and let me correct one thing I said. I believe Mr. Arapur was June of 2017, not January. Let's look at Exhibit 18, if you wouldn't mind. If you could look at page two, the last paragraph. Did Mr. Arapur um, agree with you that he accepted the 2015 terms of service? Yes, it clearly, I'm sorry, translator. آیا آقای عربپور با شما موافقت کرد که در شرایط سرویس رسانی 2015 رو قبول کرده؟ بله. Yes, in this response to the court, he notes that he agreed to the 2015 terms of service. Is that the same 2015 terms of service that we just reviewed in Exhibit 44? Yes. آیا این همین شرایط دریافت خدمات هست که در در مدرک 44 با هم مرور کردیم؟ بله.
let's turn to Mr. Momenzada. If you could look at Exhibit 67. I just want to make sure that we admitted Exhibit 58. Uh, that exhibit's admitted. You may proceed. Um, what is exhibit sixty-seven? This is the IP log activity for Mr. Momenzada's account. Okay. I move for the admission of exhibit sixty-seven. Any objection to the admission of 67? I don't have an objection, but I'd like to make a comment. You'll have an opportunity to comment, but not during the examination. Exhibit 67 is admitted. Thank you, Your Honor. With respect to Mr. Arapour, can we look at Exhibit 61, please? If you could go to Bates Label 730. These kind of go in backwards order, Your Honor. So, label page 37 at the bottom. Do you recognize this document? I do. Move for the admission of Exhibit 61, Your Honor. It's admitted. What did Mr. Arapour ask for at this time? So here, Mr. Arapour attaches an email he received in March relating to the license withdrawal process. He attaches the license form filled out and notes that he was unable to do this prior to March 31st, and this is now occurring in June and July of that year. Can we turn to Exhibit 20? I 
if we could turn to page 11 of that document. Um, if you could look at the paragraph that begins in 2020. This is the proof of claim filed by Shariar Arpour. Um, and in that paragraph, you'll note uh, what he states in that document, in that statement. Is this statement that is highlighted in front of you, Mr. Maria, is that true and correct based on what we've seen in the Zendesk tickets? I suppose it's true, but it's somewhat misleading because he doesn't note that he actually received notice of the license permit process and tried to do it, but was just too late based on his timing. Let's look at Exhibit 19, page 4, which is another claim filed by Mr. Arapour. If you could look at the statement um, on since the Chapter Eleven petition. Do you see that statement? The one that's highlighted on the screen now? Yes. Yes. Um, has Mr. The first sentence, has Mr. Arapour ever had 10 Bitcoin? Translate that, please. Not from my review of his account, and he certainly did not when his account was disabled. Let's look at Exhibit 62. Um, do you recognize this document? I do. And what does it show? Those were the assets in Mr. Arapur's account. Has 
How much is the total value as of the petition date, May 8th? کل ارزشش در تاریخی که درخواست کردن 8 می چقدر است؟ It was a little over $8,400 and I think today it's worth a little over $9,000. یکم بیشتر از 8400 دلار بود. فکر می کنم امروز حدود ارزشش حدود 9000 دلار است. What is the value today of 10 Bitcoin approximately? ارزش ده تا بیت کوین امروز ارزش امروزه ده تا بیت کوین چی است تقریبا؟ I haven't looked at today's price, but yesterday it was around forty-three thousand for Bitcoin, so that would be about four hundred and thirty thousand dollars US. من امروز نگاه نکردم ولی دیروز حدود چهارصد هزار دلار بود که میشه حدوداً چهارصد سی هزار دلار آمریکایی. Okay, now we can turn to Mr. Mamunza. I apologize. I'm trying to truncate some of this. I missed okay. some steps. Um, let's look at exhibits. Uh, move for the admission of exhibit 62, please. It's admitted. Um, let's look at exhibit 67. I believe we admitted this already. I have an explanation for this. Can I give that, offer that now? No. When did Mr. Momenzada open his account with Bittrex? In January of 2017. If we can turn to page 96 of this. Janvier 2017. Does that uh, correspond with the first login by Mr. Momenzada? It does. Can you describe um, the um, what happened with Mr. Momenzada's account during the OFAC license period? اگه میتونیم تشریح کنیم که چه اتفاق افتاد با حساب آقای مومنزاده در زمان مجوز فکر؟ Well, it would have been disabled uh, in 2017 as with the rest of them. My, from my review of, of the account, it doesn't look as though he logged in during the license period. حساب ایشون با کسی دیگه در زمان Specifically, if you look at page three at the bottom. There's a big gap in his logins uh, from May 4th, 2019, and then not again until September 19th of 2022. 
Would Mr. Momenzada uh, have gotten the same blast email that Mr. Abbasi got with the OFAC um, release form? آیا آقای مومنزاده هم همون ایمیلی رو که به همه فرستادن رو جبه اوفک و مجوز اوفک و فرم اوفک دریافت کردن؟ Each individual who was impacted by the, uh, the, the disabling of accounts because of the OFAC sanction should have been on the distribution list with their email that they used as their logon and username. هر شخصی که تحت تاثیر این تحت تاثیر اوفک قرار گرفته بود و حسابشون مسدود شده بود یا غیر فعال شده بود بایستی یک ایمیل دریافت میکردن به همون ایمیلی که شامل یا جزء حسابشون بود مس تماسکو Um, can I ask whether or not you think you can wrap up Mr. Maria's direct in the next five or ten minutes? Because we will, I have either the, I think, seventh, eighth, or ninth of next week for as much time as we need to conclude this matter, and I'll look for the parties to schedule that. But as, uh, again, I apologize for not having the, the balance of the day available. I think, honestly, I have about 15 or 20. Uh, But I can, I can try to. Uh, no, I mean, because we're going to reconvene, so I'm not going to ask you to drop everything. And again, I want the claimants, frankly, to have the benefit of Mr. Maria's full testimony and then the opportunity when we get back together to uh, uh, to examine him. Um, and what's the date, Your Honor? Uh, so I was going to, uh, again, we, since we have a number of moving parts, I was going to give you three options, all of which would start at. Uh, 10 a.m. Uh, and those are the 7th, 8th, or 9th of February. Uh, if it's up to me, Your Honor, I choose the 9th. Um, I have a, a thing to go to. I, no, I hear you. Um, look, I'm going to ask that you confer with the parties. Um, I don't want to have that discussion. If there's a debate about it, um, then we can get on the phone and I will set the time. I. appreciate frankly the significance of this issue to the claimants as well as to the debtor to uh, to deal with this issue and and to address these claims so you're on the front burner I just don't have the full day available for you today and I'm traveling tomorrow and Friday otherwise I would simply carry you over um, so uh, what I think would make sense is if you think that we're at a decent spot um, we would break, reconvene at a time that the parties will advise the court. Um, I would make an observation, and I'm not going to poll the parties. Mr. Maria is the plan administrator. Also by training, the record reflects that Mr. Maria is an attorney, but not practicing or appearing as an attorney in this. Typically, the court would direct that a witness not discuss his testimony during a break or an interval. Here we have a break that may be as long as a week, and the fact of the matter is that Mr. Maria is the client and the plan administrator. I will relieve Mr. Maria of any admonition, and I note that this, I'm less concerned about that issue because Mr. Maria's testimony is tracking testimony that the court has already heard from Mr. Maria in another context, not minimizing the significance of it, but I also note that the direct is not concluded 
So Mr. Maria is, when we conclude, Mr. Maria will be able to confer with counsel. Counsel is obviously bound by the appropriate rules and understands the game, or the, that's not the right word, understands the context. But I think that it would be cumbersome to impose that admonition for the space of a week on Mr. Maria. So, Madam Interpreter, I would ask, I trust that the gentlemen that are on the screen were able to largely understand my comments, but I would ask that you translate as follows. We will have to stop the proceeding now due to my schedule. We will have to stop the proceeding now. I have another trial starting in a few minutes. We will reconvene at the end of next week. And at that time, Mr. Maria will finish his testimony, and you will be given an opportunity to ask him your questions. I will also, at that hearing, hear your either testimony or your arguments to me about your claims and your position about what you're entitled to. With that, I apologize for not being able to do the entire hearing today and for any inconvenience with trying to finish it next week. But with that, we will conclude today's hearing, and we will reconvene shortly. Okay? Your Honor, do we have a date for them? The proposed date is the 9th. And it would be at 10 a.m. Eastern Time in the United States. All right. I appreciate your patience, and I will look forward to seeing everyone in a week. We stand in recess. Thank you. Thank you very much, Your Honor. Thank you.